The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Promoting positivity and inclusivity, you're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining the conversation today. Welcome wherever you are, if you're listening live or you happen to be getting this in the podcast. I always appreciate it. I just want you to know that because half the time I think nobody's listening. (laughs) So it always surprises me when I get feedback. So welcome. So I wanted to share with you my Netflix recommendation. If you haven't seen it yet, it's the Ricky Gervais series called Afterlife. And You might have seen this already. I'm not sure. It's season three is out right now. I just watched the last part of it, uh, the season finale. It's about a guy named Tony Johnson who had the perfect life that he thought, you know, until he didn't. Like a lot of us, we had the perfect life until it isn't perfect. And he loses his wife, Lisa, to cancer. And after that event, his life totally changes. He thinks about suicide, then decides he'd rather live long enough to punish the world by saying and doing anything he likes. This is his coping mechanism. He thinks it's his superpower to not care about himself or anyone else. So this this causes a lot of, of the humor in the series. There's a lot of black humor. There's some you know spicy language that might freak some people out. Um, but I loved it. There's laugh out loud parts, cry out loud. And at the ending of season three, it's probably the best wrap up of a series I've ever seen. I mean, I ugly cried when I saw this and, and things don't affect me a lot like that in, in a TV series, but this one really moved me. So I posted my reaction about this on Facebook and I was interested in how many other people were as moved as I was. And the takeaways for me on this were, you know, the, the life lessons, we all face grief and loss in our lives. It's part of the human experience and we have a limited time on this planet. And what's important is how we embrace those we love and appreciate them while we are here, not waiting for some reward that's going to be coming later. So anyway, this all kind of leads into my guest today. I do hope that you check out this this series because I really loved it. And my guest today echoes a lot of themes that were in this series, Afterlife, in her book, which is called Grief Warrior. And Cindy Bauman experienced indescribable loss and her journey that she shares in the book It shows that there can be life after the darkness and that our loved ones are always with us in our hearts. And she's an entrepreneur, a life coach and program facilitator. You can find her online at cindybauman.com, B-A-U-M-A-N-N.com. And welcome to the show, Cindy. And thank you for sitting through my long introduction on this. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Diane, for having me. Um, I have listened to you for years, so this is quite an honor to be a guest on your show. 
Oh, thank you so much. That's awesome. I'm I'm glad when people find me. I know there's a lot of Hey House Radio fans out there out there that uh loved a lot of the great hosts and authors that we presented. So it it's nice. Like I said, sometimes I I really don't think anybody's listening and and people do listen. So it it's nice to hear that um that you're out there. So your book really touched me and 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 I read it like right after I had seen the season finale of this series. Um, it's just, it's so touching so many things that you, you went through. I mean, I love to hear people's stories and, and I've said oftentimes on this show, like when newspapers were out, there's not any or not many left. One of the things I really liked to read in the newspaper was the obituaries. And it was because I like to read the people's stories. What kind of life did they have? Um, and you kind of get a sense of the person, you know, through reading that, um, and your, your story, was such a labor of love for you and must've just taken a long time to write. And, and just to get in it, into it, I mean, you, you share about the death of your son, Sean and, and your life and working through this grief. Can you share a little bit about the process of putting this all down and how the book came to life? Cause I know this took years really to come together. Um, yes, it did. And I'm definitely going to check out that series on Netflix. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. Um, well, Diane, I lost my son in 2007. And prior to that, I've had multiple traumas in my life. And people have said, you should write a book. And I always thought, I'm not a, I'm not a writer. I'm not going to write a book. And then after I lost my son, I thought, ooh, you know, maybe, maybe I should consider this. So I started journaling. And that's kind of how it all started. Um, I was journaling because I needed a place for my feelings to go. I would write letters to my son. And as I got through this process a couple years, I, I thought, well, maybe I should start compiling a book. So I did start the book. And then I was always waiting for like magic dust. I thought, oh, I need something in this story to help the reader. So I put it on a shelf, walked away from it, and it took me years to come back to it. And, and I also had a hard time coming back to it. Every time I got into it, I had to relive my story again and again. So that's probably another reason I put it off as long as I did. And then just before um, COVID started, well, let me back up one second. I did get messages from my son to not wait for the magic dust that as I write the story, it will come. So just, oh, about six months before COVID hit, I decided I'm going to finish my book. And one of my reasons was I wanted to finish my book before something happened to one of my parents. So they would have the story. And I started it and in less than a year, I know that sounds like a long time, but it's a process writing a book. In less than a year, I I'd finished it. And it was, um, like I said, it was a labor of love, but I felt good to have that done. <laughs> it must have been just an amazing process to go through because you, you, it's a memoir. I mean, you cover your whole life or a lot of it, you know, from the beginning, uh, growing up. Uh, you know, you were a farm girl, you went from milking cows to a media and marketing executive. I mean, that's, that's quite a journey, just that in itself. And then along with everything else, 
Um, I mean, take us back a little bit to those early days. I mean, you were a young bride, a young mother. I mean, you got married at 17 or 18. I mean, that's pretty young. Like looking back, you must think, oh my gosh, that young girl, you know, what, what do you look back and, and see now from the perspective of where you are to look back at that young girl? Ooh, look back at that young girl. Well, it was, um, it was, I grew up in a normal Christian home and we, you know, we did all the things kids did back then. We, we played in the field, we played softball in the field till we were called in to go to bed and I had a horse and I would ride a horse in the summer. And then I, I did get married at 17. Um, and that was, it was, I dated the man all through high school and we married and then we were thrown way more than we could handle. We had um, a child who had cancer. We lost our home in a fire. We had financial strains and we did not know how to deal with this each other. We both dealt with it differently. And, you know, I cried all the time and just couldn't, I didn't want to lose my child. And he tried to be strong. So in in the midst of all of that, we turned away from each other and our marriage crumbled. It was just too much for us to handle. And that happens a lot in, in these situations that I've, I've read um, the relationship, you know, cannot survive going through something like that. But you have a great relationship today and you, you kind of take us through that process as well uh, through the book. I mean, there's just, there's so much, there's so much to unpack in the book. I mean, I really hope people give this a read because it, it, it is so inspirational and there's so much to talk about. Um, I mean, in the in the beginning, Robert Holden, and we talked a little bit about this before the show, uh, he's such a great guy. He wrote an amazing forward to this book, and he compares life to a board game, that each of the squares is a life experience, and grief is inevitable. We're all going to face grief at some point in our lives. I mean, I've lost both my parents and went through those experiences and, and felt that grief. And I think that People just don't talk about it. We don't know how to grieve in this culture. And Robert says that we need to give grief our, our full attention. And kind of in what you're sharing about what happened with you and your husband, like you both, you weren't equ equipped to deal with what you were going through. Like we don't, we don't talk about it. We don't give these kind of things our attention. What do you think about that, that we need to give grief our full attention? Oh, my goodness. There, there's so much truth to that. And that's one of the first tips that I teach people is you need to give yourself permission to grieve. I try in the beginning, I just couldn't handle it all. And I tried distracting myself with one distraction after another because I couldn't handle the full dose of grief. But, it, but if I would have sat with it, even though I cried all the time, if I would have sat with my pain more and just covered my face with a pillow in, in the closet and cried, I think I would have been able to move through it a little faster than I did. And it's just, it's so important just to give yourself that time and not apologize for tears, not expect that you have a timeline to beat, just 
feel it. We need to truly feel it to heal from it. And it's okay to feel that. You know what I notice a lot of times when I watch interviews with people that have been through a a horrible experience or a trauma and they're trying to explain what happened and they become overcome with it and they always, people always say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I, I don't think we should have to apologize for our grief. Why are we sorry for that? Right. You know? Right. People want to somehow comfort you. And the minute you start crying, they can't really handle the tears and they apologize. But what they don't understand is that it is with us all the time. And those tears are healing. Yes. We need to share. We do. And we need to be a little more comfortable with that. And I know in some other cultures, you know, people will like wail and just like let it out, you know, and, and we are very closed off in that way. And I, I think it's to our, our detriment in, in a lot of cases. Um, you know, a lot has been written about the five stages of grief, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I know not everyone goes through all of them or in that order. Um, another great author I've learned a lot from is David Kessler, and he's written yes. a lot about uh, grief and, and death and dying. And he had stu- studied with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and I mean, as, as you were going through these experiences, did you find that you were stuck in one of these stages more than another? I mean, how did you experience those stages? Well, I also did not follow them linear. Um, and in my book, I call them the faces of grief because I went through shock and disbelief. Um, I just really, it's, it sounds kind of crazy, but I believed maybe it didn't happen. And I would dream that the world was just trying to hide him from me. And when, and I would wake up and it would be real. And, you know, his bedroom was over ours. And I could, I listened for his footsteps for so many nights. I just thought every once in a while I heard him walking. And, you know, it wasn't him. And I tell the story that every morning I would wake up and I would be like, oh, my God. This just happened. This is my life right now. But I, you know, it took a while to get through that shock and disbelief. Uh, and then I felt like abandoned, like he had the choice to leave us and he chose to leave us. How could he do that? Which made me angry. <laughs> so I was angry at him. I was angry at God. I got, I thought God could have prevented that accident and he didn't. Why didn't he step in? Why did he allow this to happen? A lot of whys. Um, Guilt and regret. Oh, my goodness. That occupied my mind way longer than it should have. I would jump on this hamster wheel, and I would process all of my shortcomings over and over and over again. And I had to come up. I had to find tools to deal with that, which I did, so I could somehow get off that wheel because it was exhausting. And I felt empty and depressed and full of fear. Um, It was reading you describing that, you know, where you were asleep and you'd wake up and there's the maybe a couple of seconds where you could forget that, that all of that had, had happened. And, and that was just, that was really hard, hard to read, you know, to think of that feeling of, you know, you're laying there, oh, it's, everything's normal. And then kind of the wave rushes over that, no, there is 
a new normal. You know, this will never be the way it was. Life will never be the same. And, and that realization, um, I guess that can keep a, a lot of people stuck. And, and I wanted to ask about the, the anger that people feel, you know, the unfairness. I mean, as you read through a lot of the experiences, and we're going to talk about a lot of the other things too that you went through, unfairness is a, a big part of it. Life isn't fair. This wasn't fair. Your son was taken at such an early age. You know, he had only been married three months um, when this horrible accident happened. I mean, how, how do you come to terms with that? Just kind of the unfairness of it all. Well, I had gone through multiple things in my life and I was always very optimistic and I looked, my glass was always half full and I was able to kind of get through all of that, which I found out later, I really did a good job of stuffing it. <laughs> I stuffed everything in this little box and I put it high up on that shelf in the closet and it was working pretty well for me until I lost my son and that box came down, hit me in the head and I had to unpack it. And my son's loss was, the loss of my son was at the bottom. So I had to deal with everything else first. And that was probably the first time I felt that it was unfair. Things that have happened in my, well, I take that back. When he had cancer, I didn't think it was fair how a baby could get cancer. But then I just put my, my whole um, faith into healing him. We're going to get through this. He's going to survive. If I love him enough, he'll make it. So that's kind of how I got through that one. And then the other things that happened in my life, it was just, I, I guess I look back and think, you know, I had fires in my house, in my life. It was just stuff. But when I lost my son, especially after he, he suffered and beat cancer as a baby, I thought, how can this be? How unfair is this? Why? Why is life so unfair? So that was a big challenge for me to get past that. Yeah, I can't. I mean, just reading the story, I couldn't even imagine where, you know, Sean had the this childhood cancer. He 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 fought it and, and was declared in remission uh, with his cancer. So, you know, you're like, OK, I beat this. And then to have that other experience thrown on as well, it made me think of the saying of, well, you know, God doesn't give us things that we can't handle. And, and I don't think of God as a presence that doles out these experiences like, oh, well, Cindy can handle this. So I'm going to give her this and this to deal with. Right. I, I think that things happen, you know, it just happens. It was a horrible, tragic accident. And you described this really beautiful, loving presence that you, that you felt that, that came into, into the room. Um, you know, after that Sean passed and it was like God saying, okay, you know, he's going to be okay. This was before actually the the accident where he was shot, like after the cancer and, and God was saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to help you. I guess, what do you, what do you think about that? That whole concept of, you know, everything happens for a reason and the, you know, these things are kind of doled out, but yet God's loving presence is available to all of us really at any time. Right. That statement, everything happens for a reason. Ugh. <laughs> I, I can't stand it. I, I've asked other like 
big spiritual teacher is like, what do you think about this? Because it never made sense to me. How can there be a reason for childhood cancer or some horrible earthquake? Like, I don't, I see that there can be good that comes out of it, how we react to the situation. So I I like to ask people that, what do you, you know, how how do you feel about that? Or how do you process that? Well, the night that God came into my room, um, that was the only time I've ever had an experience like that. And it was amazing. And I had been, Sean had finished chemotherapy. And while he was on chemotherapy, we, we were afraid that because chemotherapy breaks down the immune system, we were always in fear that he would get sick. So we couldn't go anywhere. And, you know, as a family, we were just pretty much stuck in our house. And once he finished chemotherapy, you'd think there was a little freedom but it really wasn't because now you're afraid that the nothing's keeping that monster away. So I would cry every night and one night in the middle of the night. And I just, I can still feel it like it was yesterday. I was, something woke me up and it was pitch black in my room and I could, it was a telepathic communication and I was crying and it said, he's going to be okay. And then it repeated, he's going to be okay. Well, at that point in my life, I had peace and I could let that go. And I really believed he would never die of cancer. And it was gone. He grew up, you know, went to college. He was studying to be, to become a doctor when he was killed. And when he was killed, that popped in my brain right away. I thought he was going to be okay. So I guess the way I kind of wrap my arms around it is, do I think everything happens for a reason? Well, not really. But I do think we are all on a journey. And we are on this earth to learn, to be, to show compassion, to love. And he, as much as I, I didn't want to let him go. And I know people say, oh, do we only remember the good things? No, this was an amazing young man who I believe was, had tackled everything he was supposed to tackle on this earth. And that's the only way I can get my arms around the fact that God took him home because, you know, and no, it wasn't God that caused this. I'll never believe it was God that caused this. But God did walk with me and help me through it. Because without that, there's no way I don't think I would have had the strength to get past it. Right. Without that loving presence. Correct. That's interesting. And what an amazing feeling that must have been. Was it like a thought in your head that he was going to be okay? Not so much an audible voice. Must be hard to describe, isn't it? It is hard. It was like a, it was like a communication without words. I I can't even describe it because I've never had it before and I haven't had it since. It was just bizarre, but it was come. It was peace. I felt peace instantly. I didn't doubt it. Sometimes my little mind can question things and I didn't doubt it. I just trusted it. Right. Right. And that's beautiful that that's available to all of us if we're open to receiving that kind of love, you know, to receive God's love. So that, that's really beautiful. You were able to. 
to experience that. And I mean, so many chapters in, in the book, we've only got a couple of minutes to our short break. So I don't want to get into a long answer because there's so many, so many more things I want to ask you. But I mean, the, the chapter where as you were going through all these experiences and then you get to the chapter where you're writing about that, that horrible day of, of Sean's death from the hunting accident, that must've been just so difficult to put down on paper. How, how Um, did you approach that? Knowing that that chapter was coming up, you know? Right. Um, Well, maybe that's why it took me so long to write the book. And, and in total, it was what, how many years? Off and on, yeah. probably like 10 years off and on. Wow. Right. But I, I, you know, I did table it for a long time in between. So yeah, that was a hard chapter to write. I, and there was just so much to it that I had to face when I wrote that chapter. And I had to get answers to a couple of really hard questions. Right. But you, um, I mean, and we'll, we'll get into more of this as well, as far as writing, because you you did something called soul writing or automatic writing to kind of cope with everything, you know, a few years down the road as you're going through this process. And so this must've been cathartic in some way, right. To be able to get this out and you work with people to write, write their experiences down. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. That was really, um, that was an excellent chapter when I interviewed other parents just because I wanted to share what others have used to heal. And there was, there's some really good questions in there and some excellent answers from many of the people who walked with me on my journey who had also lost. Yeah. In the book, you do share some amazing stories towards the end and you really see like, wow, so many people have dealt with incredible hardships in their life and pain and trauma and have been able to come through it. And and the resilience of people is is really amazing to me. Yes. Um, Some of the questions that I asked them is, you know, what helped them most in grief, how grief changed them, what grief taught them, how was, has their life changed since this? Um, What advice can they pass on to others and what different healing therapies or techniques did they use? Again, I, I felt it was good for the reader to see not just what I use, but what helped other people as well. So because not everything. Yeah, I mean, not everything's going to work for everybody. And you even describe like walking into grief support groups and then oh. some you just turned around and walked out. I was like, I can't deal with this. But you find your tribe, right? Or you find the things that work best for you and you share a lot of those modalities in the book, which is so helpful. I'm talking with Cindy Bauman about her book, Grief Warrior, and she's a grief to gratitude coach, life coach, um, also has a a program that she's facilitating here. We're going to talk about that as well. So stay with us. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with more.
Human Design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum Human Design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. You found the most positive place on the internet. Thanks for listening to unityonlineradio.org. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me. I'm talking with Cindy Bauman today. She's the author of Grief Warrior, A Journey of Hope and Courage to the Other Side of Traumatic Loss. She's a grief to gratitude coach, a life coach, and also a program facilitator. And she shares her incredible story of her journey following the death of her son, Sean, also uh, overcoming other incredible odds in her life as well. And her resilience is is just so amazing throughout this whole book. I mean, I really, I really recommend people pick this up. And I always think that experiencing a horrible loss or traumatic experience, I always say it changes you in your DNA. Like I remember I was with my mother at at that moment when she passed and I was alone with her in the house, kind of waiting. I was calling everybody, you know, waiting for everybody to, to come and kind of help me. And I just was sitting there and kind of, as the realization was washing over me, like what was happening, I really kind of felt like I was changing, you know, like I would look around and the room, like you described this too, the room seemed hyper realistic, like everything was in focus, sharp focus. And I I really think that it does change you in your DNA. There's kind of a before and after. Um, How, like, how did you come to terms with that, that changing? Oh, boy, it definitely changes you. You'll never, ever be able to go back to the person you were. And there are some some gifts that come with it. I, however, I would never give up my son for the gifts, ever. Um, but you end up going through this, you have such a deeper sense of compassion. And your your heart is just broken open. Um, if If I hear of somebody who has lost somebody, especially a child, I can literally feel their pain in my heart and my eyes can well because it breaks my heart to know. I know the path they're going down. I know what they have to walk through to get to the other side of this. So so that is hard. Um, And how else has it changed me? Well, I had to choose to change. I mean, I had to choose the outcome. It changed me, but I could have changed in a variety of different ways. And at first I was bitter and angry. Uh, but then I had to make the choice to become engaged in life again and quit living. I, I always say I was living with one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. And I had to make the decision to want to live again. And after doing that, and a few years passed, I now find that I, I, I want to live in the now. I want to live in the present, which is sometimes it's hard. And I do slip back into my old habits, 
but I, I really try to ground myself to live in the present. Um, again, that compassion for connection with others and to help them. Uh, the, the appreciation of kindness. I was really, really um, just, I'm so grateful for the people that were in my life. Not everybody has that, but the people that were in my life were amazing. The community that I lived in was amazing. And it also pushed me to develop my, my faith. I read so much uh, spirituality, spirituality and different religions. I listened to Hay House a ton. And it just really opened up my mind. Um, so I think that was a big part. I, I wanted to figure it out. I needed to somehow figure it out. Right, to make sense of it. Yeah. You know, I, I was curious as I was reading the book, um, you know, and you talk about th that day that Sean was killed and, and what happened. And I just wondered, whatever happened to the man that that accidentally shot him? Um, he was he ever charged with anything or um no no um and i don't know i i don't know what happened to him so at the time it's a, it's kind of a long story but that was a decision that was made to kind of let it go because we couldn't bring him back right and I don't believe it was ever intentional. Uh, I mean, I was, of course, I was angry at him for a very long time, but I don't think it was intentional. It was an accident. And it, it took a while to build up my forgiveness for that, but I, I got over it. I just have always prayed that someday I would get a little note in the mail from him. I've never met him. And that's the one thing I would really like is just some kind of a note because I know he didn't mean it. Right. And I know he lives, he's got to live with this. Well, I was thinking about that in, you know, cause people throw around that forgiveness word a lot and you know, how you have to come to that, that place of, you know, how, I don't know how you, you'd wrap your head around forgiving, but you, you do understand that he, you know, it wasn't an intentional, it wasn't like a murder or something like that. And the grief, I can only imagine living with that myself. If that happened to me, how would I go through, how would I go through my life, you know, knowing that I unintentionally took someone else's. So I guess you have to come to that place of, of empathy and compassion. Right. Yeah. Forgiveness was, I'll admit that was really, really hard. And a friend told me once that before I could forgive anybody else, I had to forgive myself. And I, I thought, forgive myself. But he was right. For some reason, I, as the mom, felt that I should have protected him, even though he was 100 miles away from me that day. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't prevent it. That was, And, and that, honestly, was my first lesson in control. I always thought if I worried enough, if I loved enough, if I cared enough, I could control. And I, I learned that I can't control anything. And so it took me a while to forgive myself that I you know, wasn't there that day to save him. And then I had to find forgiveness for the people involved, knowing that it wasn't intentional. And because it wasn't intentional, I could do that. Right. I'm sure, you know, as I live with my hell, they live with their hell. Right. 
That's such a great point, though, to forgive yourself, because you must have just gone through uh, unbelievable torment of, well, I could have been there, I should have done this, I should have done that. You know, when you talk about that, the could have, would have, should have, how could I turn back the clock in just a few minutes? You know, why couldn't he have bent down at that moment? I would have stopped him. But you know, you had to come to that that place where, you know, you knew you couldn't do anything about it. You know, he was an adult, a 27-year-old guy. You were hundreds of miles away. And that must have been just such a, a grueling process to yes. to get to that forgiveness point for yourself. Yes, yes. And he was 26. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. 26. But yes, that was, um, that took a while to get there, for sure. Those regrets, I got stuck in those regrets. You know, like, again, if I would have been home earlier that night, I could have talked him out of going. Um, and then, of course, after I lost him, was I a good enough mother? Did I help him enough? Did he know how proud of him I was? Um, just all these things go through your your head. I knew, but yet I knew in my heart, he knew I loved him deeply. And that that felt good. But I still had to deal with all my, all my shortcomings. In my right, life. right. And the, the love does continue, of course. I mean, I, I think that that lives on forever in space and time. Um, but talking about, you know, there's a lot written about holding grief and trauma in our bodies. You know, there's a, a bestseller. It's been out there for a, a few years. The body keeps the score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. And I've heard the saying also, the issues are in the tissues and, you know, just holding all of that in your body. Um, you know, a few years after this happened, you went through a breast cancer diagnosis and surgery and, the doctor that you consulted with, he said in his opinion that the trauma of Sean's death contributed to what you experienced. And did you agree with that? Do you think that played a part? Absolutely. I actually, okay, this, I hope this doesn't sound crazy, but I actually feel that I, I kind of willed it upon myself because I was in a place, and again, I had other children, but when you're in such a loss and the state that I was in, you can't see what's in front of you. You only see what you've lost. And I believed that I, I wanted to will myself to die. And when I had the breast cancer diagnosis, now if I would have had this before I lost Sean, it would have devastated me. But because when I did receive it, it was two years after I lost him, I thought, huh, great, this is my ticket out. I willed this and now I get to leave this this earth. And then after going through all the different testing for a couple weeks, I found out that it was caught early and I had to make decisions. And then there was a part of me that I was angry because now I have to find time in my grieving to deal with this. And yet it was a little distraction. So, you know, it was the way I was looking for distractions back then. It was probably good. But then it, when, when it was all done, I think what I came down to is I think God placed that. I mean, right? Did he make thing, bad things happen? No, he didn't in this case. I think he placed it in my path because I needed to see that I wanted to live. And I need to get some, have some fight in me to kind of go through this. And it was, it was that, that was probably one of the pivotal pivotal points in my healing was when I had to deal with breast cancer. Right. No, that makes total sense when you describe how 
uh, okay, well here, this is my ticket out, you know, no one's going to question this and I can just kind of exit, but it did give you a reason to fight and, and a reason to live and see how much that you did have here still to do on this plane. And then the work that you're doing now and, and helping other people, um, that's, that's an incredible experience that you shared. Now, I think, and, and you, you probably believe this as well, that our consciousness goes on after the time we spend here on this planet. You know, we're here for such a short time, these little carbon meat suits we're walking around in. And I mean, I think it's possible to contact our loved ones and continue our relationships. And you can, you do have a continuing relationship with Sean that, that goes on, you know, today you talk to him, you write letters to him and, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about being open to signs and communication because I people think, oh, that's too woo and I don't want to talk about that. It's, it's not possible. But you received a lot of signs from Sean and family members have, have reported that they have as well. I mean, do you think you, being open to that is kind of the first step to those showing up in your life, those kind of signs? Yes, you have to be open to it. And generally the people that have an opinion are the people who haven't lost and have been desperate for that communication. When you, you know, my son would call me almost every day. I had fantastic relationship with him and just, we communicated all the time. And all of a sudden one day it's gone. No text messages, no phone calls. I can't hear his voice. It's gone. So yes, I was very open to signs from him and, you know, the very first one I received was really, it's, it's another one that's hard to describe, but I remember this was early on within those first few weeks, I could literally feel him shaking my heart. Like he was shaking my heart trying to tell me he was here. And it, it was a physical feeling. It was just unbelievable. And then I had, you know, many other signs, the blue angels that lit up my room. The harder I cried, the brighter that blue light was shining in my room. And it, I mean, it wasn't just, and they would automatically turn on throughout the day. And I thought the other kids were doing it just to make me feel like Sean was communicating with me, but they weren't. And just, I had a several amazing mystical experiences that he was, I knew he was with me. And I think people should be open to those mystical experiences. I think Life can be mystical and, and we should experience that. Um, you know, in my, in my other job, we mentioned Hay House Radio, my, my past life, one of my past lives. And I've worked with a lot of mediums and I know people that, that do this. And so I listened, I've seen a lot of medium demonstrations and I listened to a lot of the mediums that were on Hay House Radio. And there was kind of a constant theme or one question that everybody wanted to know when they would call and, and, and get a chance to connect, everyone wanted to know, is my loved one okay? Are they okay? You know, they wanted to make sure and have that reassurance. And a lot of people did get a lot of comfort from talking to a medium. And I just, I wanted to get your experience on that. So you did visit a medium, you know, a few years after to contact Sean. And what was that experience like for you? And would you recommend it to other people that are grieving? Well, you know, before, I know there's mixed views on this. Yes. <laughs> um, lots of mixed views, lots of opinions. But before I lost him, I would have never even considered it. 
But after I lost him, like I said, I was desperate. I, I wanted to know, yes, is he okay? I was his mom. And yes, I believe in heaven. And I believed he was there. He was a good soul. But I just wanted to know that he was okay. And that these things that I was feeling around him, this confirmation that he was walking with me. Um, so, yeah, it was very comforting for me. Um, I, you know, I, I, I didn't have a negative experience at all. Mine was all positive. And I walked out of, away from that feeling at peace. And I do believe, you know, we're connected. Our souls are connected and they do walk with us. You know, love lives on forever. Nobody can ever take that away from us. So it, I was, agree. It, it was a gift to, you know, to know that he was, I mean, I knew he was with me, but it was just confirmation. Right. And you had some good experiences working with people. And if, if someone is thinking of going that route, I mean, how would, what would you recommend they take steps? Like you want to make sure that it's someone that is reputable or is recommended to you from a reliable source, that kind of thing. Right, right. Because there are people, I mean, just like in any profession, you know, there's probably people that aren't, I, I don't even want to say legit, because I'm a very trusting person. <laughs> but just, I would just talk to other people who have had a good experience, and make sure and if it doesn't feel right, then I would end it, because it has to feel right in your heart, and you'll know right away. And if you, you really, if you walk, you really need to, should walk away with a positive, peaceful feeling because they don't want to send us any negative information. And if that starts right. happening, I wouldn't believe what I'm hearing. It can be a really healing experience. And just over the years, because I've interacted and, and met so many people, I've seen both sides of that. I've seen where it can be really healing. I'll never forget one person. I, I won't mention who it is where I was at a conference and a woman walked up to up to her with a picture that there was like a film or something in the background. And she asked the medium, is this my son? I really believe that it's him. And she took the picture and looked at it and kind of just gave it back to her. No, no, it's not your son. And this woman was so devastated to kind of have this. She really believed. And I always thought, even if you didn't think it was her son, why didn't she just tell her it was her son? You know, <laughs> Just give her that. And and I remember I went to her after and she was like crying. And I go, you know, she's not always right. I said, I believe that your son is around you. And like I was trying to comfort her in whatever way I could. But then also in a positive note, where I was doing a show and I had a, a really amazing medium as a guest and the woman that had the reading with him just got so much healing and he was able to validate so many things that it, it was just incredible to, and I could like feel the energy of their connection. There really was something going on where he was mm -hmm. tapping into something and sharing this energy with her that it was incredible. So I, I would love people to get that, that healing and that confirmation, just kind of be careful, I guess, you right. know, in your, in your search, but right. it can be a really healing experience and you'll get that confirmation that our, our loved ones are around us. Yeah. You have to be careful. I yeah. agree. Definitely and, have to be careful. And I wanted to bring up again, we talked a little bit about soul writing or automatic writing, you know, which I'm sure contributed to this book, right? Over over the period of putting it together, you must have kind of received information um, doing that kind of thing. I mean, how did how did you feel 
doing the automatic writing experience? Well, soul writing, automatic writing was one of the most healing things I could have done. And you really don't need anybody else if you can really get into soul writing. Uh, what I would do is I would sit in just a short meditation because sometimes it's really hard to slow my monkey mind down. <laughs> so I would sit in a just a short five-minute meditation and just kind of focus on my breath and just clear everything. And then I would write a question, whether it was to God or to my son. And then without thinking, I would just start writing everything that came to me. I wouldn't proof it. I wouldn't worry about grammar. I would, wouldn't worry about what I was writing. I would just write it all down. And when I was finished, maybe I have another question, I would keep going. But I never really asked more than two questions at a sitting. And then I would put it away and like pull it out that night or the next day. And I was amazed at what would come through. It was just, it, it was amazing. I knew the that I was getting a message. So to, that became my connection. Yeah. And then, um, a couple of years ago, I lost my brother at 56. And I did the same thing when I lost him. And he gave me a great response. So it was just, you just know it's them. They're trying, you know, and it's all comforting. You get answers. That's so incredible. I hope people really give that give that a try and, and look into it. There's a couple of really good books out there about this process. Uh, Soul Writing, I think by uh, Janet Connor was the one that you recommended. Right. Um, yeah, just the, the incredible connections that you can make. And uh, while we have a few minutes left of the show, I, w I definitely want to talk about your work today. And I mean, all of the transitions and, and twists and turns your, your life has taken that you write about in the book. I mean, what you're doing now, you know, going from marketing executive and, and working in radio and TV stations. And now on your website, you know, what you're doing is life transition coaching and grief coaching, really wanting to help people get the benefit of what you've learned and, and help them in, in their, their trials and, and problems and what's going on. I mean, what, what's your work like today doing that? Do you get a lot of satisfaction? Oh, yes. Yes, I was really, um, I went through the grief or the life coach training several years ago, but this last year I went through the grief coach training. And as, several years ago when I did this, I wanted to do grief coaching, but I was afraid uh, that I couldn't handle the pain. But I just had to get further along in my healing first. And now if I can help somebody who's grieving, whether it's coaching or just somebody calling me on the phone asking me to reach out to a friend of theirs. I've done that many times. That is the most satisfying thing I can do is to help somebody move forward and give them hope that they will get to the other side. There will be beauty and joy in their life again. It's just you got to keep, you know, persevering through it and you will you will find it again. And that is the the most satisfying thing I can do. There's light at the end of the tunnel for sure. And so on your website, I mean, is there a difference in you offer life transition coaching and grief coaching, you know, for someone going through a, a terrible loss, but I could see where people could benefit from life transition coaching, whether or not you've had a loss in your life. Right. I mean, cause we all go through transitions. There's all these different phases that we go through in life. And how does that differ you know, from working with people on the grief coaching? 
Um, well, the life transition coaching is was mainly designed for people. It's for anyone, but my niche is for people are getting close to that retirement age. What am I going to do next in my life? What's my passion, my purpose? You know, maybe they've been just in a career for the last 25 years and not really enjoying it, but now they can make a choice and do something that kind of fills their soul. So it, it that's a, a big piece of it. And the other piece is a lot of people who go through grief, they really reevaluate their life. They question their, their, you know, am I passionate about this? Do I want to do this the rest of my life? So it, it kind of works for both. But when you go through grief, you go through a, a transition. And there are many other points in your life where you go through a transition and you question your, what do I want to do the rest of my life? Right. And we're seeing, we're <laughs> seeing that today, right? With the past two years that we've been dealing with the pandemic and they're calling it the great resignation and people quitting their jobs are <laughs> like, which I think is a real positive benefit of this whole horrible experience we've been dealing with. If that's what it takes to kind of nudge you out of your, you know, slumber and wake up to something that's really going to give you passion and joy in your life, then that's a huge plus. That's a huge positive. And often I think of Louise Hay, who started Hay House in her 60s, and what a trans life transition that was for her. So I always think sometimes, well, what would Louise do, you know, in this situation? Um, you're not too old. It's not over. There can be an amazing second act. And you give a lot of people hope in that, which I think is so great. We, we have a life to live. We yes. should live it and be, you know, and be happy doing it. Yes. Life's too short as we've seen. Absolutely. And what, what do you hope people take away from your story and the book? Well, okay. First of all, hope. They can do this. I want them to know that they can make it. And it's just, it's a walk. You have to go through it, but you can make it. Um, believe that your loved one is around you, supporting you. They're your biggest cheerleader and they want you to, to live a good life and flourish. They want you to find joy. That's what we're here to do. You know, and grief can be a battlefield. Some days we feel that all we do is fight, but keep fighting. Keep fighting. Don't give up. There's joy on the other side of it. Um, continue to learn and grow. Keep praying. God hears you, even though at times you feel he's not answering your prayers the way you want them, him to. And just to remember that your love for that for your loved one will live forever. Just keep talking to them. Keep talking to them. Even if people in the car next to you think you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Thank you so much for sharing the book with us and your story and for sharing Sean with us. I really appreciate it. Cindy Baum and the book is Grief Warrior, and you can pick this up now. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation Podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. 
I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.